Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Friends, I am unapologetic. I will probably cry today. This book, <laughs> I'm just thinking about it. I'm starting, this book moves me and I just don't even apologize. So let's read. Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. If you haven't been following up till now, please listen online because it's a beautiful story. Ruth, uh, from a foreign land, widowed, poor, has nothing, and she's brought in, and through a process of getting to know this man, Boaz, she's about to become part of God's amazing family and his plan. And Boaz is this man um, that she is going to marry. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. The gate was like the town hall. That's where all business was done in the city. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So a close relative is allowed to save a family in trouble. And Boaz wants to marry Ruth, but there's this other guy who has a prior legal claim. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. Now that word friend is not in the original Hebrew. In the original Hebrew, that word is so-and-so. Just so that you know, the translators of the Bible thought so-and-so was too rude, so they changed it to friend. But the real Hebrew there says so-and-so. Come aside, so-and-so, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here, and they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to Elimelech, and I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So this man thought it was all just about a field, about a piece of land. He said, yeah, I'll do a business transaction. But then Boaz drops the hammer. He says, on the day you buy the field from Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. In other words, you've got to marry Ruth as well. And this guy might have already had a wife. There might have been all sorts of issues. And basically, it's not just a commercial transaction anymore. It's a relationship. And so the man said, I cannot do that. I cannot redeem it for myself. I'll ruin my own inheritance. You redeem it, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in those days. Um, he took off his sandal and gave it to the other. Verse 8, Therefore the close relative said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witness this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilian's and Marlon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of Marlon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead, through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. So they're blessing her. You know, blessings, when people speak blessings to other people, especially in the name of the Lord, there is power in the blessings, the, the words we speak. Parents, speak blessings over your family, over your kids. 
Husbands over your wives, wives over your husbands, speak words of positivity and affirmation because this all came true. The Messiah came out of this relationship of Boaz and Ruth. Blessings are powerful. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception. She bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also, the neighbor woman gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And out of David's line came the Messiah, Jesus. <clears throat> so I want to talk about this field, because in order to get this beautiful woman, Ruth, that Boaz had grown to love, he had to buy the field. He had to do a commercial transaction and buy a piece of land in order to get this woman. And Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 44, Behold the kingdom of heaven. Sorry, let me read it to you. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Friends, the message today, we've, we've learned about Ruth. We've seen how, she, how the Lord brought her from nothing, from obscurity, from isolation, from poverty and hardship and sadness. And with no hope and no future, the Lord brought her into this place. And by the end of it, she gives birth to David's line, and eventually Jesus comes out of them. And we can see how she's now in a relationship of love. Um, there's something beautiful has happened. From poverty, she's now overflowing with more than enough of everything she needs. She has family all around her. And more than anything, she's in the blessing and the smile and the purposes of God Almighty. She was excluded, but now she's part of God's plan. But I want to say to you that this idea of a field, Boaz had to buy the field to get the precious Ruth. And this idea of a field runs right the way through the book of Ruth. We may not have realized it, but follow with me now, please. And just think about this. The book starts with Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons leaving Israel because of a famine. They have sold everything they have, including their field, their land, and they are in poverty, abject poverty, and they go to Moab, and there one of them dies, then the two sons die, and all sorts of tragedies happen. But it was the field at the start of the story, and for you and I, the story starts, the Bible says that the field is the world. Um, Matthew 13, Jesus told four parables about a field, the parable of the sower, the parable of the wheat and the tares, the parable of the mustard seed, and then the, the treasure hidden in a field. And it, he says, the field is the world, and the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. It starts off, our story starts off, because our parents, Adam and Eve, sold the field to so-and-so. 
the, the other relative, gave away the field. We lost it in abject poverty. Chapter 2, Ruth comes back with her mother-in-law and she starts working and she's just trying to make ends meet. She's trying to glean whatever she can find. And maybe you were like that. You were trying to find whatever you could. You were gleaning, looking for hope and purpose in life. I remember myself, I, was, I clearly remember sitting in a library looking through books about Eastern mysticism, Buddhism, all these different religions, trying to find a purpose for life. I said, there's got to be more than this. And I stumbled into a meeting, a field, a harvest field, where people were talking about Jesus. Do you remember Jesus said, the fields are white unto harvest. Whenever Jesus spoke about fields and harvest, he was talking about reaching the lost, bringing the lost, the lost that Jesus loves. Just like Boaz loves Ruth. He loves her so much, but he's got to buy this field to get this treasure in the middle of it. Jesus says, the field, the lost, I love them, I want them. Jesus found me. I stumbled into a field. I was, Ruth was going around looking for grain. I was stumbling, looking around, going for grain. I stumbled into a field, and it says in Ruth chapter 2, verse 3, Ruth happened to come upon the field that belonged to Boaz. When you found Jesus, if you are a Christian, if you found Jesus, you stumbled into a field where people were preaching the gospel. Somebody paid a price in finances, but also in time, in prayer, in effort, in uh, emotional effort to get you saved. Somebody was working in a field and you stumbled in and you found your Boaz. And then all the time that Ruth and Boaz developed their relationship was in a field. Every day Ruth was working in the field, gleaning hot and dirty and tired and sweaty and Boaz was watching her and she was watching Boaz and she was seeing how he was kind and how he was fair and loving and how he related to me. It all happened in a field. And then Ruth chapter 3, which we saw last week, Ruth goes to Boaz dressed in her best dress with lovely perfume on and she kindly, gently, humbly, lovingly woos him and says, would you take me as your wife? And he says, yes, but I've just got to sort out so-and-so first. But that happens at the field, in the threshing floor. It doesn't happen in a restaurant. It doesn't happen at uh, Boaz's mansion or house or wherever he lives. It doesn't happen anywhere else. It happens in a field. You found Jesus in a field. I promise you, you did. I don't know, mind how you found him. Some of us found Jesus watching YouTube videos. That was a field. Somebody put the effort in to broadcast the gospel. Others of you found it through a book you read, a radio program, a church service, a person who shared Jesus with you. It was in the context of a field. Ruth found Boaz. They, they got married in a field. And now, this final process of him buying the field back. Jesus bought the world back from so-and-so, otherwise known as Satan. He bought it back. He paid the ultimate price. He paid everything he had to buy the field because you are a treasure. And I want to say it's you. You see, we like to be kind of shy and, and uh, you know, coquettish. No, it's not me. Don't be silly. 
It's you. If you were the only person, you were the only person who ever said, Jesus, I believe in you, he still would have died for the whole world because you are a treasure that he loves with all of his heart. He loves you. He paid everything to buy you back. And after the day they got married, every single day, Boaz went to the fields because that's the kind of man he was. And everything of their lives, Ruth and Boaz together, including their son Obed, their grandson Jesse, their great-grandson David, every part of their lives was affected by Boaz being in the field every day and all of their income and blessing and security and everything they had as a family, everything that gave birth to this line of David came out of this field. Christian, everything that is of any value in your Christian life came out of a harvest field. And let me just clarify what I mean by a harvest field. I mean a group of Christians who are outward looking and saying we want others to come and get saved and to meet this Jesus. That is the harvest field. The opposite of a harvest field is a place where Christians say we don't want the outside world to come in. We want to be private. It's just us. We want to do the deep things of the Lord and those non-believers will mess it up. We don't want them here. Let's just be private and love God and worship Him and get goosebumps together. That is not the harvest field. The harvest field is out there. And every blessing that you have and I have as a Christian has every single blessing and growth and provision and healing and all the good things God has done in our lives have happened in the context of a field, just like everything Ruth had with Boaz happened in a field. Everything the disciples had with Jesus happened in the harvest field. You know, where did the disciples learn about all the truths that they learned from Jesus? Where did they get healed up? Peter with his problems. James and John, the sons of thunder. They were called the sons of thunder because they had a temper like you would not believe, James and John. The sons of thunder. Everyone knew them. Boy, those guys, you don't want to cross them. They go into a village and the village doesn't get as enthusiastic as they thought they should about Jesus. So you know what James and John say to Jesus? Lord, let's call down fire from heaven and burn them up. They're the sons of thunder. By the end of their three years with Jesus, John, at the Last Supper, is lying with his head on Jesus' chest, talking about the future. He was changed. When did that happen? Was it in a super spiritual counseling, private one-on-one -on -one session with Jesus? No. They were in the harvest field. Jesus said, I'm going to go to the other city now. I'm going to the other side of the lake. There are other sheep. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's reach the lost because that is why I was sent. It was always the harvest field. In John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman at the well. Just Jesus and her and the disciples come back. They've been going to get food. Let me read you the story. Verse 27, at this point his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman went back to the city and said, come and see a man who told me everything. Verse 31, the disciples said, Rabbi, eat something. And he said, I have food to eat of which you do not know. 
Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has somebody brought him something to eat? These guys were so dull, these disciples. It's so funny. Whenever Jesus makes a statement that is so obviously spiritual, they are just so dull, and yet he's patient with them and he works with them. They say, he says, I've got food that you guys don't even know about. He's saying there's something burning within me, something from God that gives me energy. They say, oh, who brought him food? Verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Boy, I'm challenged by that. Do we not say, Lord, let me just get educated in the Bible. Let me get healed of my past. Let me get fixed up emotionally and then I'll go out street witnessing. Do you not say there are still four months and then the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Look at the fields. They are already white for harvest. Stop looking down at yourself and look at the lost out there. Lift up your eyes. Look. That's where the disciples got healed, trained, provided for, feeding the 5,000 and 12 baskets full left over. You know, at the beginning of the feeding the 5,000, it says they were so busy, they didn't even have time enough to find food. They were hungry, the 12 disciples. And at the end of feeding the 5,000, there were 12 baskets full left over. In other words, your provision, more than enough, comes in the reaching the harvest. And then the next verse, Jesus said, um, he just said, the fields are white for harvest. He says, he who reaps receives wages. Where do we get our provision from? Lord, why aren't you providing for me? He says, get out there in the harvest field with me and you'll get your provision and gathers fruit for eternal life. And both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. So many times where Jesus talked about rejoicing, joy, happiness, it was in the context of reaching the lost. The woman who had 10 coins and lost one, she said to her friends, come rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. The man who has the one sheep out of 100 who goes missing, he says, rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. The prodigal son, rejoice with me. The son who was lost is now found. He sends out the 70 and they come back with joy. And he, he said, it says, Jesus, full of joy in the Holy Spirit, said, thank you, God, that you've revealed it to them. The joy comes in the harvest field. Everything the disciples learnt, all the blessings and everything that happened in their development to become good Christians ready to serve God didn't happen in a Bible school, although Bible school is good. It didn't happen in a private counseling session, although that can be good. It happened in the context of the harvest field. And brother and sister, we want to be a harvest field. The minute that our church becomes inward looking instead of lifting our eyes and looking at the harvest. The minute we look at ourselves or just each other and say, what are my needs? What do I want? What do I need? Lord, bless me. Bless me, 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 me. The minute we do that, Boaz has gone back into the field and we're left alone in a room. Those are hard words, aren't they? But I believe it's the truth. And then lastly, I want to talk about the cost of the field. So, verse 9 of Ruth, chapter 4, says, Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's, all that was Killian's and Marlon's, from the hand of Naomi. So let's look at it from Boaz's point of view. He spent money. He spent money. Jesus... As Boaz, as the, as the equivalent of Boaz, 
Jesus spent everything. He gave his life. He left heaven. He left close fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. He lived a life on messed up planet Earth. He lived according to all the temptations and sorrows and problems of this world. He was rejected and despised by men. Eventually he was murdered. He rose again after being separated from God. He rose again, but he remains in the body of a human being for all eternity. That's the price Jesus paid for you and I. God stays as a... When you and I get to heaven, there'll be someone who looks like me sitting on the throne. Not me, Greg. Me, human. Amen? Jesus, the risen Lord. He is Lord of all the universe, but he still has a human body. He remained like this. He gave up. He emptied himself of his divinity to pay, to buy the field, the world that had you, Ruth, in it. He loves you. That was the price he had to pay. But this verse says, Behold, I have bought everything from the hand of Naomi. Naomi, theoretically, legally, gave up her field. Even though she'd had to sell it to leave when they were poor and then she left Israel, in the, the laws of Israel, it was still really hers. They had a thing called a jubilee year, and every 50 years, any land you'd sold, anyone who had become a slave, any debts, anything like that, were all cancelled. All land went back to the original owner. All slaves were set free. All debts were cancelled. Amazing, isn't it? Imagine that year. Talk about joy. And that's the year Jesus said when he said, um, I have come to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord to proclaim liberty for the captives and, and healing for the blind, etc. That's the jubilee year. Jesus brings in that salvation for us, which is amazing. But what, I want, what I'm wanting us to focus on is that Naomi theoretically owned a field. Even though she didn't own it, according to law, she was giving up everything she owned and giving it to Boaz. She gained this love relationship. She wasn't worried about money. And Boaz wasn't worried about money. He just wanted this beautiful wife. They gave everything in this marriage. It wasn't about rights and obligations and you owe this and I do this and this is my duty. It was about love, 100% giving. But they gave everything, amen? They gave it all. The, the treasure in the field. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure in a field. You and I found the treasure of Jesus. One day we walked into a church and we found the treasure of Jesus. And if you really became a Christian, you gave up everything. You said, Lord, everything is yours. I'm your servant. What do you want to do with my life? It's yours. You gave up everything. And he found you in the world and he gave up everything for you. But I want to close by focusing on this fact that actually Naomi really didn't give up anything. She did theoretically give up her field, but it wasn't hers. It, it may never have become hers. There's some disagreement about whether the jubilees actually even happened in the Old Testament. The law said every 50 years it must happen, but the Jews didn't really do it. Why? Because humans like to take advantage of other humans, amen? The law says every 50 years you get your land back here, yeah, but let's just put it off for a bit. It's, I'll, I'll just keep your land, and no, your slave can't go free. And so Naomi may never have got it. Friend, whatever you think you're giving up to serve Christ, what is it that you think you're giving up? We talked about the woman with the alabaster jar last week. 
What was she giving up? She was giving up an alabaster jar worth 50,000 pounds worth of uh, money, a, a valuable perfume jar. But the real cost that she was giving up was pain, heartache, and misdirected uh, energy and, and desire. She had gone the wrong way. And she was really, the real cost was the cost that it had taken, the toll that it it had taken in her own life and her health and her emotions. She was lost and broken. She was giving up something that really didn't cost her anything. And that's what Naomi was giving up. Whatever you think you're giving up, it's not even yours. Even if, even if you were to gather all the riches in the world, when we die, we cannot put anything in the coffin with us. Naked I came into the world, naked I leave. There's nothing I can take with me. I can't take all the goods and all the... All the all the money that I own. I can't take it anyway. It's not mine. There's nothing I can give up that is really worth anything. And there's a man called Jim Elliott who made a quote. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me say that again, and then I'm going to tell you the story of Jim Elliott's life. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep that fields... Um, Theoretically, I'm giving it away, but it's not even mine. Someone else owns it, and I probably won't get it. Whatever I give for you, Lord, it's, it's, it's not even mine. I'm no fool to give everything on this world because I can't keep it if I gain what I cannot lose. You know, Boaz and Jesus are faithful husbands. They will never let you go. You cannot lose. You cannot lose. So Jim Elliott, in the 1950s, he was a young man from America, a, a well-educated man. He had a bright future ahead of him. And he married a lady called Elizabeth, and they had a little daughter. And in 1956, he felt the Lord prompting him to take the gospel to a tribe of Indians called the Orca Indians in Ecuador. And um, he learned the language. He spent several years. He traveled down to South America. He invested time and effort and an emotion into this. And in January 1956, him and four others, I'm going to read you their names, Ed McCulley, Roger Uderian, Nate Saint, Pete Fleming, and Jim Elliott, flew over the, the tribe, the village of the Orca Indians, and they started dropping gifts and food parcels. They wanted to take the gospel to a group of people who had never heard of Jesus. They wanted to be out in the harvest field. With, with the Lord of the harvest. And eventually on January the 8th, they landed on a beach near the village and some of the Orca Indians started coming out and Nate Saint and Jim Elliott and a few others waded out into the river to see them and suddenly it became clear that the Orca Indians had spears and they were going to kill them. And Jim Elliott had a gun, a pistol, and he could easily have shot them. But he said... I will not take the life of someone who doesn't know Christ. I would rather sacrifice my own life because I do know Christ. And he allowed them to kill him. And the five of them were killed. And he said, I'm no fool to give what I cannot keep. I can't keep my life. What do I have that I can really keep? Nothing. But I gain what I cannot lose. Two years later, a church was formed amongst the Orca Indians in that very village, 
And Jim Elliott's wife and daughter were in that church and living in that village. And today, 60 years later, if you go to that village of Orca Indians, Nate Saint's great-grandchildren live with them. Nate Saint was killed by them. And his family lived with them. Why? Why is that? Why would someone do that? Because they've understood. My Jesus paid everything to buy the field just to buy me. There's nothing I can give that's too valuable. And I don't even own it. It's not even mine. Elizabeth Elliot, Jim Elliot's wife, died last year in June at the age of 88. I want you to imagine that reunion in heaven that happened last year in June. 60 years after they'd last seen each other, and they meet in heaven. And suddenly they realize there's nothing we've given up that was of any value compared to this glory. And look at these others that we brought with us, these Orca Indians. That's what counts. Friend, the book of Ruth is all about a field. From beginning to end, it's about a field. The disciples' relationship with Jesus was all in the, the harvest field. Your Christian life has all happened in the context of a harvest field that someone else has paid a price so that you could hear Jesus. And if you leave the harvest field and think it's just about you and your selfish needs, you have left your Boaz. He's there in the harvest field. He's working. He's a rich man but he spends his nights sleeping at the threshing floor with his harvest. And that's where his wife will be. Let's pray. Let's stand together and pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for Ruth. Thank you for a beautiful story. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, each one of us, to fully, fully understand and learn these lessons from Ruth. Lord, that each one of us would would become your bride who loves you, not because of rules and regulations, but because of a passionate love. And Lord, that we would follow you where you are, out there in the harvest. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.